You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. So several weeks ago, we we discussed, we had a sermon um, talking about what they should, and when I say they, I'm talking about the world. We, we preface this before of we are in the world, not of it. So the, uh, the world should, should find itself directly impacted by our interactions with it and our presence, right? Uh, I find it very interesting, the, the conversation about, you know, uh, oh, what do they call it, our... our uh, our, our footprint, and they're talking about it a lot with fossil fuels and different things like that, or um, our geographical footprint, carbon footprint, and it's all these different things of this footprint that is left when someone has been and gone and what is left behind. And it's the same for the kingdom of God and the people of God that fill that kingdom. What is the footprint that we leave in this world And is it directly impacting and what is in that footprint? What is withheld within these encounters? Anytime they experience me, a unique and specific and significant vessel carrying the presence of God, we are called as holy temple. We are unique. We are significant. We're the only creation ever created that has ever been or ever will be that can house the physical manifestation of God himself and carry and establish it into the places that we go. We are Uh, weak little creatures that can do mighty and unfathomable things. And so when the world encounters us, what do they experience in these moments? And just came to this, the revelation that there should be six things. Just logically, again, we've been taught this. God is logical. God makes a lot of sense. Uh, We don't think he always makes sense in the moments because that's not the way we would do it. But He has oversight when we don't. And he sees all the steps when we can only see a few. And so, but he's always logical and he always makes sense. But the six things that they should encounter, the first one being uh, very obvious that God is good. Number two, nothing is impossible. Jesus has won absolute victory. You are significant. Number five, there are mysteries yet to be discovered. And the last one is that he is here. His presence is here. This is, I'm not saying that someone encounters this per, encounters us and they, at the grocery store and they get in their car and they're thinking, man, I just saw six things. But they should be less with the impact of these six things being present and relevant in us. And so I said that we were going to begin to break this down individually over the next several weeks. There are six here, but that doesn't mean that we'll just be talking about these for six weeks. I believe there's some that are just going to take a a period of time because there's a ground that needs to be laid. But we're going to be looking at each of these six individually over the next few weeks. And so to begin this study, what should the world see when it sees me? What should it be left with when it encounters the people of God? Well, the first one that it should encounter is that God is good. And this is, I'm going to shut this real quick, but this is an experiential statement. When we say that God is good, if if I say that anything is good, apples are good. I don't know that because I just believe that apples are good. I know that because I've tasted 
and seen that apples are good. And I know what things are not good, right? Because we have experience with them. You cannot sum up that something is good or bad without the experience of it. We should teach that to a lot of people because a lot of people just say things are good and they say things are bad without any experience just because that's what they think they need to think. Um, but to, to know that God is good comes from experience. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. This is experiential. This is something that we encounter, that we experience for ourselves. The world around you will not see that God is good, though, if you yourself do not believe it. Again, we come back to this statement of you cannot give away what you do not have. If you do not believe that God is good, how will the world around you believe that God is good? You must experience this to know of its truth. So when does this happen? And we're going to kind of look at the origins of when this happens in our stories. So if you want to start, we'll turn to Ephesians 2. And we'll be in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and because these are smaller studies, uh, we won't have them on the screen or anything like that. It'll just be you know, good old-fashioned Bible flipping or good old-fashioned screen typing, you know. Finding these scriptures. Uh, and there's, there's a, a chunk of this. This is a familiar passage, but I just really, I love how it, uh, it builds up to the point there at the end. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Ephesians 2. And we'll go to verse 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, we're obviously looking at verse 8. I just, a side note, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We've been called to be the vessels of kindness to this community. And how has God intended in the days to come when this was written, which are the days that we're in, how did he intend to display his kindness? It was through his grace. Man, and that's something I believe the world needs to see more than anything is a people that are capable and willing to show grace to those around them, right? I, I don't know how many times I have a conversation with people, and I, I mean, we, I think we all can relate to this. Most men can relate to this, that we are our own worst critic. We show no grace to ourselves, and so therefore you're not going to show much grace to the people around you. You just can't do it. And we measure in our society, we measure everything. And a measurement 
is, is you, that contradicts grace. Because grace does not require anything. A measurement requires something. And it will show you when you fall short or when you have enough. And newsflash, you will always fall short. And so if you're always measuring, you will never have room for grace. If you don't have room for grace in yourself, you'll never have room for grace in anybody else. But anyways, I just love that, that we've been called to kindness, and it's just so powerful that right there in verse 7, that in the coming ages, how would God show his kindness? is through his grace. That is how he's going to put it on display. So it's important for us in the season that the Lord has called us into. But verse 8, again, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. I used to teach this passage often. Uh, because when we're looking at salvation, this, this moment presents two beliefs found at salvation. It, this, this is we're, when we're, what we're talking about right now in verse 8. This is the moment of salvation. This is the moment where you believe in Christ and His sacrifice and all that He's done for you. This is what we're talking about. And no one earns this. No one works for it. But it is a gift of faith Given by God, this is the craziest thing ever. I don't know why we ever think that we could do anything on our own because we cannot even believe in Him without Him giving us the capacity and capability to believe in Him and to have faith in Him. We didn't come someday come to this conclusion that I will have faith in Christ. No, He encountered us and, and, and made Himself known to us and then gave us a gift of faith that we could then put faith back in Him. Well, we can't do it by ourselves. We've got to have Him. Because at the very start, it was him. But what we find at this moment, and this is what I taught. I called this abiding faith. You guys have heard this before. This, this foundational gift of faith, this foundational moment of salvation. What is found, and everyone can attest to this in our, your own salvation experience. No matter what the circumstances were or how it came to be, we know this to be true. Everyone comes to agreement with this. Is that the moment of salvation for you personally, you came to this recognition that God is good and he loves me. And, and that is found at every origin of salvation. When I first put my belief in Jesus as a 10-year-old, I knew that God was good and He loved me. And that is what is made known to us, the goodness of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We know that He is good uh, in this place because He presents His love to an undeserving sinner, right? At this moment of salvation, we recognize, I see what I have done and what I deserve. And then I see this love freely given and this blood of Jesus freely made available to me to wash me white as snow and to, to make me a new creation. And he, and he saves us. Second Corinthians, if you'll turn there, will be in Second Corinthians 5, just to reemphasize of what we encounter at this very moment of salvation, this beginning moment uh, when we're and all, all of this is to build up of how do we know that God is good? And we're just talking at the very beginning of salvation. What is revealed to us, what is shown to us, uh, because that is where we first encounter the goodness of God. Where we recognize it and receive it for ourselves is at this moment of salvation. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that it is, 
In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might in him become the righteousness of God. So we experience all of this at this moment of salvation. Our eyes are being opened to it in this moment. And we know in this very beginning stage, the first chapter of our story with him, in this moment we experience, yes, he is good. And I now know that he is good because I've just encountered this goodness for myself. And that's the only way we can do it. But we have to come back to this point. This is what they should see when they see us. So why don't they? And this is the question, the humbling question that we all have to ask ourselves. You know, it's, it's just that, that moment of humility where you have to ask, is, is this something that people encounter in me or is it not? Right? This is part of the Christian walk because we, we know that there is no such thing as conviction from God. Because I would challenge you, if you believe that there's conviction, tell me when you were convicted and you did not also feel guilty. And you tell me how that's this gracious, all-loving, merciful God. Why would he bring guilt to those that are free and born in victory? That doesn't make any sense. Guilt is for someone on trial. And we're not on trial. So, and conviction, who do we convict in our society? Criminals. We don't convict the innocent. So if his blood has washed us white as snow and we are made innocent, how can there be room for conviction? Because we are no longer guilty. But what we do know to be true is that the Holy Spirit will continuously and always present to us Jesus and the life he lived. The life he lived that we would know the life that we have access to. The capacity that we have. Greater works will you do than I. The life that we have the capacity to live. The door has been opened and made available to us that we can live this life. And he shows us Jesus. And then he will, in this very humbling moment, we all know that some of, some of these moments are gentle and some of them are swift, punch to the gut. He will show you, right? These are the moments where the punch in the gut. And this is the moment where it's gentle. Where it's just one thing you need to work on. But it's this moment where you recognize Something is missing that was not missing in Christ, but it's missing with me. It's this moment where we check ourselves. And so this is one of these moments where we ask this question. Do they see that God is good when they see me? That I believe that, that I know that, that I walk in it. And if the answer is no, which a lot of times, and for us, the answer is no, why would it be no? Why would it be no? That's really the question. I believe he sees it, especially in the people that gather in this place I believe that they see it in so many people. Um, But why do we as Christians, why would we struggle to put this on display? Well, it's because we are quick to forget and not quick to remember. We have very bad memories, short-term memory loss in the Christian world. Unlike our example again of Jesus, who just... Looking at the study of Jesus and in, in his story and his life, he spent immediately after receiving the Holy Spirit 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And every moment that Satan presented to him an opportunity, a temptation, a moment for him to disobey God the Father, 
He was quick to remember the word of God. Immediately, without hesitation, quick to remember. And then we see it again in the garden, before the cross, as he's weeping and sweating blood. He is quick, even in his anguish, which that is not an anguish or a despair that any of us could ever relate to. Because none of us have known that we are about to be murdered brutally before we've gone to that place. But he did. But in that moment, quick to remember the will of God, the heart of God, and why he was there. And because of that, if it be your will, let this cut pass for me, but not my will be done. Yours. Your will be done. And walked into obedience even to the cross. Because he was quick to remember. What allowed Abraham to lay Isaac upon the altar? And Isaac to be bound by his father and lay upon the altar. Because this is a young man. And his father's, he's in three digits of age. He's old. I'm not I'm, I'm pretty confident that if Isaac wanted to say, no, we're not doing this, he could say, no, we're not doing this. But that's a whole other testimony right there. That's a whole other story because Abraham did not withhold all that God had done from his son, but included him in everything and shared with him everything of the testimony and the promises of God that were to come. But anyways, Abraham lays him upon the altar. He does not hesitate when the Lord says, take him and sacrifice your son. And he goes. He packs up and he goes. He had days to think about this. It wasn't like he's like, I want you to sacrifice to me and then go. And then he goes up there and he's like, what am I going to sacrifice now? We don't have anything. He's like, your son. Like, no, you are going to sacrifice your son. Okay, what am I to bring? No, your your kid. You're sacrificing your kid. And then they go. And he does it. And he walks in obedience to it. How is he able to do that? Because he's quick to remember what God had promised that nations will come from him, that kings of people will come from this son I will give you. And that's really hard to do if he's dead. So he knew, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to do it. God is faithful, and I am quick to remember. Abraham is quick to remember that God is faithful. And all that he had promised, all the promises of God that had come. So how does the world see us, see in us that God is good? Well, we remember the goodness of of God that pursues us. And just I just I, I like um, I, I I like entering into Google. Google can be a, such a great tool. Just what does the Bible say about the goodness of God? And I'll tell you there's 25 pages of scriptures. I mean just nonstop. The Bible says a lot about the goodness of God and that's funny that it would say it that much probably because it's meant to be emphasized that much and seen that easily, right? But So I'm just going to read several scriptures that we are to remember a testimony of the, of the reality of the truth that is spoken here. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to His purpose. And we know. And we know. That's testimony, right? And can we say that in here? And I know that all things work together for good of for the good of those that love God. Never been a day where that's not been true. Even in the worst days, it has been true. Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of children of mankind. Nahum uh, 1, verse 7. The Lord is good 
a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. I, I want you to also see this, the theme of the goodness of God being tied to the refuge that we take in him. Finding yourself in the presence of God, you will never not also see the goodness of God. Just the, those two go together. You can't have one without the other. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm 107, verse 1, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 27, 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord right now in my present day. And I love reading from the Psalms because all of that is testimony. So it's like, well, David experienced it. He experienced it without the Holy Spirit indwelling within him. So what more goodness do we have access to because sin is not separating us from it? Sin separated David from the fullness of the goodness of God. There is nothing in between us and the goodness of God anymore because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The first experience of goodness that we have is that sacrifice of Jesus that now leads us into this promised land where there is no barrier separating us from the full, every amount of goodness that God has within Him which is endless and goes on for eternity. We have access to it. So you tell me how we could have access to it, a well that will never run dry. How could we ever look thirsty? And how could the world around us ever see us as those that go without? There's no way. It doesn't make any sense. Unless we forget that we're standing next to a well that never runs dry. And we have been given a well that never runs dry. I would change this, uh, this statement from earlier. The Lord just... You remind me, it's the same thing with the uh, having expectations for God versus having preferences of God. It's good to have, I have an expectation for God's goodness to pursue me all the days of my life. I have preferences of how he should do that. And that's the issue, right? It's our preferences. And it was the same moment. You can't give away what you don't have. But because nothing has been withheld from us, I would change it to this. Because all of heaven has been made open to us. All of heaven has been made open to us. All of God and all that, can, that uh, is held within Him has been made available to His sons and daughters. You can't give away what you forget you have. You can't give away what you forget that you have. Because that's all that we do. Because it, there's never a day where I don't have it. Not ever a day since I said yes to Jesus has there been a moment where I did not have the fullness of the kingdom of heaven right next to me. The fullness, because I am His temple, I carry His presence. I don't carry part of it. I carry all of it. I don't carry some of the fruits of the Spirit. I carry all of the fruits of the Spirit. And guess what, it contained, what is contained within the fruits of the Spirit? Goodness. And I don't just carry some goodness. I carry the author and perfecter of goodness in me, with me. But I can't give him away when I forget I carry him. 
And that's the reality. God is good. And they should experience that reality, that truth that they were made for because all things were made for Him and through Him. So there is not a person, there is not a creature. All things. That means these dirty little barn cats I got at my house were made for Him and through Him. The trees, the few that we have out here, growing, are meant to display His glory. I, I'm, I've always loved this. I used to, when I was just getting to know the Lord and just getting to know the Holy Spirit, truly know the Holy Spirit, the thing that He would always draw my attention to, and I can see now He was setting me up to be in a place. It's just crazy. I would come out of a prayer room, and the thing that I would always notice first was the clouds. And he would just, the clouds, yeah, he would just speak to me through the clouds and just, just put on display how mighty and beautiful he was. Because there's not a day that they look the same. And they're always gorgeous. And he's, he's doing that in those moments. And I'm having this moment as a, as a 19-year-old. And he's just sitting up there laughing like, you just wait. I'm going to send you to a place where that's all you can see. <laughs> It's the sky. Because there ain't nothing else to look at. Just look up. There ain't nothing good looking down. That's, that's prophetic too, right? There ain't nothing worth looking down on this world. Might as well just keep looking up. But out here, I'm telling you, has there ever been a prettier sky than West Texas skies? They're just gorgeous. And I've been all over the world. There's something different about West Texas skies and the goodness of God that's in Him. He just puts... This goodness on display. So how do we forget? We've got our eyes closed and we're looking down in the dirt. And there ain't nothing pretty down there. We know that well. Better than most. We've got to look up. We've got to be quick to remember and not those that are quick to forget. And this is the reality of what I'm saying to you. is We have to be those that now having heard this have to change the Christianity culture. Because within our culture as Christians, sons and daughters, within the body of Christ, the norm is to be quick to forget. And you can never put on display the goodness of God if you're quick to forget it. Because you cannot give away what you forget you have. And so the Lord has called us to put on display that as anyone would encounter the children of God, what they would experience is they would experience the goodness of God. Because all things were made for Him and through Him. There's not a person on this earth, there's not a kitten in a barn that was not made for Him and through Him. And so, there will always be, there will always be, I believe strongly, there will always be significance in every moment when a person encounters what they were created for. There will always be significance when they encounter Him by which they were made for and through. There's not a moment. It goes back to a vision in college when I was just, you know, I was still a baby Christian. I was doing my laundry in the dorms. There's one laundry room. And as I was walking back, it wasn't the smell of detergent, but it was, the, it was a rainbow that was coming. It was just this fragrance that had the shape of a rainbow. It was kind of like a cartoon, you know, when the pie that's sitting on the window and the smoke starts going and catches somebody in the nose. As I would walk by people, they would catch this fragrance and it was the presence of God. And something, it, they would just turn, they would have to follow it. And he was trying to put on display to me that everyone was made for this. You're not just the only one. 
All of them were made for it. So everyone was made to know and experience for themselves as we have experienced for ourselves that God is good. But let us not be quick to forget because when we're quick to forget, they will never experience what they were always made for. But when we are quick to remember, they will always, always be impacted and experience the goodness of God for which they were made. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.